If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Matthew. We'll be reading from Matthew 28. And the verses are 18 to 20. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Well, a very good morning to you, those of us who are joining us in this room, and also, of course, to those of us who are joining online via our live stream. It is good to be gathered together. As already has been said, as Church of the City, we desire to see our communities look more like heaven so that every single person in this city has an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. That's who we are. It's what we, uh, we hope drives us when we wake up, and we hope also what drives us as we pursue community with one another. Before we dig into this morning's value, uh, this morning's pillar as it relates to our church and who we are in this vision series, why don't we take a moment to quiet our hearts, take some time to invite the Holy Spirit to minister to each of us and to teach us what it is that God would have us learn this morning. And so, Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you're with us. I thank you that we don't have to doubt that. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we are your church here in this city, your bride, God, that we would care about the things that you care about. I pray that we would be a people that pursue the ways of Jesus in all of life. God, and that there would be a marked difference in us compared to the world around us. God, thank you for what you're doing. We love you. We want to trust you in all things and surrender each and every single day increasingly to the work of your spirit in our hearts and lives to make much of the name of Jesus, to see our community look more like heaven so every person has a relationship with Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, every single one of us are being formed. The question is not if we are being formed, but what we are being formed by. Now, what do I mean by formed? Some might say it's a good way of putting it is being influenced. And so we're influenced by the people that we spend our time with. We're influenced by the culture that we live in. We're influenced by the places that we work. We're influenced by the television shows that we watch, the movies that we take in. We're even shaped and formed in the way that we respond to things via our DNA. Or the if you're an introvert, if you're an extrovert, if you're somebody who follows the Enneagram, if you're someone who follows Myers-Briggs, all of these different things, we are shaped by that. And then, of course, in the homes that we were raised in, we're nurtured in a certain way, and so therefore we are formed. And in many ways, you see in our culture today different people being formed by different things and therefore responding to the environments that they find themselves in based upon their formation. The question, as I said, is not if you are being formed and if we are being formed, but what you and I are being formed by. And so therefore, the question we need to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus is what is forming us? 
What is forming us? Who are the type of people that we are becoming based upon the formative patterns that are going on in each of our lives? And the question that I want to begin to consider today then is how do we as followers of Jesus who desire to see our community look more like heaven so that every person has a relationship with Jesus, what do we do? And so here's kind of the hypothesis and where I want to go with that this morning, that if we desire to see our communities look more like heaven so that every person has a relationship with Jesus, we must think critically about our formation and pursue pathways that form us into the ways of Jesus. We must think critically and pursue pathways that help lead us into the ways of Jesus. And that's why one of our new values of Church of the City is formation. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, as disciples of Jesus, we desire to be with him, We desire to become like him. We desire to learn from him in order to do what he did. We want to be formed as disciples of Jesus. And if we're not thinking critically about that, if we're not pursuing pathways that leads us to that end, we will be formed in the ways of our culture. And so we must think critically about this as disciples of Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is just take some time to look at each of the parts of this definition of formation or this desire that we have, that as disciples of Jesus, we desire to be with him, become like him, and learn from him in order to what? Do what he did. So let's take each in turn. As disciples of Jesus, we desire to be with him. Is this what we see in the scriptures? Now, I'll be looking primarily at the gospel of Matthew as well as some of Paul's writings that you could go much further what I'm going to go today because we don't have all the time for it. But let's begin with Matthew 28, verse 20b, which Andrea read for us earlier. Jesus says, I highlighted it last week, but it's important for us to remember this as we consider being with Jesus. Jesus said, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do we regularly connect and resonate with the reality that Jesus is with us always. That I oftentimes will hear people pray and they'll say, God, please be with. And I think it's because within ourselves, we can compartmentalize and say, well, I'm with Jesus here. I'm not with Jesus there. Yet what we can change our prayers to say is, Jesus, I thank you that you are with me. And to begin to live in that reality, behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. As disciples of Jesus, we desire to be with him. Matthew 1 verse 19, Jesus in calling the disciples to himself says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, become my apprentices. Come be with me. Now, while Jesus may not be calling us in the same way he's calling these disciples, he is calling us to follow him, to come and be with him. And what does he promise? That he is with us always to the end of the age, that regardless of our vocation, he is with us and we are to follow him where he has placed us and where he is using us. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are labored and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Integral, brothers and sisters, to our formation is presence of being with Jesus. As we are influenced and formed by people we spend time with, so we are formed as we spend 
time with Jesus. And his presence is with us always. Some of you will know I took a sabbatical a year ago for three months. And this reality of Jesus' presence with me was the one reality I needed to understand and come to rest in more than any of the other realities. My relationship with Jesus had become a lot of doing, but not a lot of resting with him. And so as a disciple, I needed to be formed to understand that he is with me. Secondly, as disciples of Jesus, we desire to become like Jesus, to become like him. Back at the beginning of the year, we were studying the Beatitudes, and something that we were saying repeatedly as we studied the Beatitudes is that the Beatitudes are are a group of teachings of Jesus that describe someone who's in relationship with Jesus. They describe a person who's living in light of kingdom realities. And so Jesus' desire for us is that we would become the people that the Beatitudes describe, which if you look at the Beatitudes, they also describe the character and person of Jesus. In Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, Jesus told his disciples that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus does this, does he not? Takes up his cross, and he invites us to do nothing that he has not already done, to deny ourselves, to become more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul, this is where I'll quote him in Galatians 2 verse 20, in light of what Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection, says this when we come to put our faith and trust in Jesus. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As disciples of Jesus, we desire to become like him. I reached out to Sarah Evans this week, who's part of our community, and she is a spiritual director. And I asked her for a definition of formation and spiritual formation. And so she used a little bit of Robert Mulholland's book in Shape by the Word, but then also added some of her own flavor. Here is the definition. Christian spiritual formation is the process of being conformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. It is not an instantaneous experience, but rather a lifelong process of growth. That agitates me because I want it quick, right? It's what the three easy steps. It is the primal reality of our human existence where we can either yield ourselves to be shaped towards the wholeness of the image of Christ or toward a distortive and destructive character of that image. Genuine spiritual formation reverses our habitual expectations for gratification to a posture of patient, open-ended yieldedness. The heart of spiritual formation is a fundamental shift from being our own production where we are the ones to control our spiritual growth to being God's creation where he awakens us to the possibilities of a new way of being being formed as disciples to become more like Jesus. Then thirdly, as disciples of Jesus, we desire to learn from him. 
Matthew 1, verse 23 to 25, we read that Jesus goes throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And what do we read? Verse 25, and great crowds followed him. Notice that Jesus not only preaches, his signs and wonders also communicate the inbreaking realities of the kingdom of God so people can learn from him both in word and in deed. James K.A. Smith's brilliant book, You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit, writes this. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and our longings with his to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. Jesus then has the Sermon on the Mount, which is, again, something that we studied following our series on the Beatitudes, in which Jesus describes the way of the kingdom. And make no mistake, Jesus is offering people a way of life, a lifestyle to be lived and practiced. And we know this because look how he concludes his sermon. He concludes it with this, Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus teaches us in order that then we would go and do what he said, which leads us to this fourth reality of our formation, is that as disciples of Jesus, we really desire to do what he did. John 14, verse 15, we cannot avoid Jesus' teaching. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Matthew 9, verse 37 to 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus here is illustrating what our call, the commission that he gives us. We can become laborers in the harvest. And we go, and we see the harvest that is plentiful, and we go as laborers. Matthew 22, verse 36 to 39, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus did not say this as some pithy statement to kind of, you know, get tattooed on our backs. He said this as the way that we would embody and live our lives, love for God that would then lead us to love for others. And then Matthew 28, 18 to 20, once again, Andre read it for us. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and Holy, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to what? Observe. Do all that I have commanded you. And so what is Jesus inviting us to? He's inviting us to be formed to be with him, become like him, and learn from him in order to do what he did. This is not simply about knowing more things about him. He is inviting us to a way of life, a life of formation as his disciples and as his apprentices. Now, you may not be aware of this, but in the first three centuries, Christians were persecuted more than any other religious group. Even today, Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. 
The early, Christian ref, early Christians refused to honor other gods and worshipped the emperor. And as a result, were seen as being too exclusive, too narrow, and a threat to the social order. This is what it meant to be a Christian in these early centuries. So the question then is, well, why did people become Christians if they knew if they became a Christian, they would become persecuted? And the reason that people became Christians is because Christianity was seen as a contrast community and a counterculture that, while being offensive, was also deeply attractive. You see, when someone declared faith and trust and surrender to Jesus, they knew that they had now a new identity that transcended their culture, that transcended, trans, transcended their race. And so while those things mattered, they took second place. Christianity was also a religion that people could choose, and many people believe that you didn't choose your religion, you were born into your religion. And so Christianity was a whole different reality. Tim Keller, in his article, Five Features That Made the Early Church Unique, writes this, To the shock of Roman society, all Christians, whether slave-free or highborn, or whatever their race and nationality, were now equal in Christ. Galatians 3, 26-29. This was a radical challenge to the entrenched social structure and divisions of Roman society. And then out of this identity, Keller quotes the works of a man by, with the last name Hortita, recognizing five characteristics and realities of this early church. And I think it's important that we recognize these five realities and then consider the fact of how were they being formed. They were obviously being formed in order to be a community known by these things. The first reality that recognized of the early church is that it was multiracial, and experienced a unity across ethnic boundaries that was startling. It was the sort of thing that you didn't see within Roman society. Secondly, the early church was a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. Christians withheld retaliation from opponents and would not ridicule or taunt them. Thirdly, the early church was famous for its hospitality to the poor and the suffering. They would especially care for those of other classes and of other religions. They saw no divide in that. They pursued people. During the urban plagues, Christians would often stay in the cities and care for the sick rather than fleeing, often at the cost of their own lives, another mark of the early Christian community. Fourth, it was a community committed to the sanctity of life. The early Christians not only opposed abortion, they saved infants who were being thrown into the garbage heaps, garbage heaps outside of the cities, taking them in. They were really the first ones to adopt. Now we think of this, we think, oh, that's so barbarian, children being thrown out. I heard a story this week from South Africa that a baby was left in a garbage dumpster. This is happening. And so as believers, we must ask ourselves, how are we contributing as God's church in this world? And fifthly, it was a sexual counterculture, the early church. The church forbade sex outside of heterosexual marriage. Sex was seen as a way to give oneself wholly to another, and in so doing, imitate and connect to God who gave himself in Christ. The Christian view was also more egalitarian, treating all people as equal, and sexual self-control was actually seen as true human freedom rather than being pawns to their own desires and to their own fate. 
five markers of the early church that led people in the midst of persecution, knowing that they could be killed, to become a follower of Jesus. And why? Well, it's because the early church was different, presenting a counterculture, practicing a counterformation that Christianity had such an impact. Therefore, if we do desire to see our communities look more like heaven, so every single person has a relationship with Jesus, we must be a people who reject the formation of our culture and instead pursue counterformation in the ways of Jesus. So the question then, well, how can we be formed as disciples of Jesus with the desire to be with him, become like him, and learn from him in order to do what he did? And here are the three things that as Church of the City, we believe that we want to embody in our church family. Firstly, learning, or another way of putting that is shaping. Our aim is to be a people formed by the scriptures, learning and unlearning at times what it means to do like Jesus. You maybe recognize this, that maybe you grew up, and I certainly grew up in a church family where it seemed very possible to know much about Jesus, but not actually follow him in the daily rhythms of life. And sometimes we need to unlearn those realities, to come to the reality that we need to be all, it's all of life, an entire lifestyle following Jesus. We want to be challenged by the scriptures individually and in community. And in this, to fall more deeply in love with the author, our Father God. Secondly, spiritual practices. Our desire and discipline is to be formed through spiritual practices that create an environment where God's Spirit will transform us. The disciplines and practices are a means of God's grace to us, and therefore we think of them as such. Spiritual practices are ways that we can live out counter-formation. A couple of books, if you're interested. James K. Smith's You Are What You Love. Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. Adele Alberg Calhoun's Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. Practices that Transform Us. Charles Duhigg, a a non-Christian. The Power of Habit. Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. Or even James Clear's Atomic Habits. An easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. And then thirdly, we mentioned it last week as far as encounter, that if we want to have daily tangible encounters with God, we must pursue life in community. The same is the case as it relates to our formation. Communities. Our aim is to live life on life and life in community, encountering God with with and through one another. This is what Jesus modeled to us, and it is how we were created. You may not know this, but according to research by social psychologist Dr. David McClelland of Harvard, the people you habitually associate with determine as much as 95% of your success or your failure in life. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are the five people that are closest to you? And so as disciples of Jesus, we desire to be with him, become like him, and learn from him in order to do what he did. I don't know where this lands for each of you this morning. I'd encourage you to take stock of the things, the person that you're becoming. Take a look at the places that you're being formed, the things that you are allowing to form you. And so let's stand, and here's the benediction. And then we'll invite our team to come and lead us in another song of worship.
with the desire to see our communities look more like heaven so that every person has a relationship with Jesus. May we, as disciples of Jesus, desire to be with him, become like him, and learn from him in order to do what he did. And so, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the work that you are doing. I pray that we would come to trust and to believe and to experience the reality that you are with us. God, I thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. He does not leave us alone to this work of formation. He empowers us and enables us every step of the way. And so, Holy Spirit, we now intentionally invite you to lead us, to form us. God, I pray for those of us who recognize that we are living out habits, or God, we are being formed by things that we are recognizing now are having more of a negative impact than we recognize. God, maybe it's the reality of our evening schedules. God, we sit in front of the television more than we want to be. Maybe the shows that we're watching. God, maybe it's the people that we're spending time with, God. God, we certainly recognize that we are being formed. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to be intentional about our formation to you. God, we thank you for this church family that you have called to live out this calling in this city. God, I pray that we would become a counter-formative community to the city that we find ourselves in, and that ultimately, Lord Jesus, you would be seen as beautiful, as attractive. God, I pray that we would trust you, that we would not believe that we need to change the teachings of your word in order to become more palpable or acceptable to our culture. God, that we would recognize that there is beauty in the fact, Lord Jesus, that the scriptures do not align with the movements of our culture. And so may we become disencultured in this way. May we be faithful to you. God, we thank you for the rhythms of your grace. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you want to bring dead people to life. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that if there is anyone in this room today that is dead in their spirit and in their soul, that you would bring them to life through faith in your son, Jesus. May they come to experience, Lord Jesus, the fact that you, that you're so good, that you're better than anything else that this world has to offer. And God, even when we suffer in our circumstances, you are still good. So Lord Jesus, may we trust you. We give ourselves to you in your name. Amen.